Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Got this fancy new app on my phone. It's just amazing. You push a button and things happen. Um, folk, you know, if you go and buy something, something that is sort of when you go to McDonald's and you say to them, can I have one of those, please, one burger that looks like that? Uh, you know, the one on the left is, is often the one that is up on the shelf or, or on the screen that you want. But when it comes out, it often looks like that burger on the right, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, an ice cream of Tweety Bird that's in the wrapper and it looks uh, like that, uh, Tweety Bird all bright-eyed, but when it comes out, she's pretty sad, you know, and, um, and so you wonder what's going on. But what often attracts us is the price, the price that we pay for somebody, the basic price. And so uh, a friend of ours wanted to go and buy a little uh, dinghy, you know, a, a little rubber, uh, not a dinghy, uh, not a rubber dinghy, but a little tinny, you know, and uh, to go fishing. And they said 600 bucks for the whole thing. So I said to my son, I said, listen, just ask, you know, what that 600 bucks, you know, entails, because is it the whole thing? Yes, yes, it's the whole thing. And then when you read the fine print, it's far from the whole thing. In fact, you are getting the basic little tin, no moto, uh, no anything with it, the basic price. The reason I'm telling you uh, that story is that, you know, we have to ask what is the bottom line? How much is it going to cost, you know, to get this whole contraption up and running and going? And I think when it comes to Christianity, I think many of us are happy with, with kind of the basic model of Christian living. The most basic understanding. What do I need to do just to get into heaven? Just as long as I can make it in the corner... I don't need anybody to recognize me as long as I can make it by the skin of my teeth and be there in the corner. And so, you know, what is the most basic thing I need to do? Well, I think God challenges us and he wants us to live a a life that's pleasing to him, that that Christianity isn't drudgery. Uh, That it's not boring and painful and all negative. I can't smoke, I can't drink, I can't go to bad places. Oh, and because, uh, you know, I'm Baptist, I can't dance, you know. No, it's more than that. It's the greatest thing this side of eternity. It's the greatest thing this side of eternity to know who Christ is and to live a life that's pleasing to Him. You remember the movie... uh, played by, by Tom Cruise in 1997, Jerry Maguire, you know, he, he begins to question what is his purpose in life. And th- that famous line, show me the money. <laughs> show me the money. You know, is it all about uh, success? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, talks about uh, when Christ calls a person, he bids them to die. He bids them to die. Well, the passage I want to share with you has something to do with that this morning. And it's Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 27. What is it all about? 
Well, Jesus speaking to people, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Now that's radical. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I think we have a hard time to understand this word lose. Uh, because first is first and second is nowhere. I mean, you know, I was a soccer coach and, and, and you know, uh, I didn't understand uh, what my wife was saying or couldn't believe what my wife was saying. You can't be using, you know, words like attack, kill, you know, to four-year-olds. And I'm going, what's wrong with that? When first is first and second is nowhere. You've got to come first. And when uh, it was very solemn that my soccer team lost, thank God, um, you know, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. But when they did lose, oh man, it was so painful. Because I'm trained in my mind that first is first and second is nowhere. And you cannot come second. You've got to be up there. You've got to be a winner, you see. And if Michael's soccer team would lose, I was, I, I mean, there's depression for the whole week, you know. And so it, it's, quite, it's quite painful. But here, in this particular context, the, 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 the word lose in Matthew uh, 16, verse 25, uh, talks about, you know, apolimi is the word, to destroy, to render useless. You know, and that's often what creeps in our minds, you know, to ruin and to perish when we lose. You know, that, that we walk around kind of broken, you know, because, you know, we've come second, We've lost something. I, I don't see many people walking around and saying, oh, my child is a loser. <laughs> you know, normally a little L, but in my case, a capital L. You know what? They didn't win the last two soccer games. What's going on? You know, and we begin to think, you, you know, in this particular fashion. And the, the, the world's attitude is the winner takes it all. Now, folk, I've done a bit of... Uh, stuff myself, and I think that first is first and second can often be nowhere. But what is it that really keeps us going with reference to the things of God? Do we allow this mentality of the world to creep into our thinking? Because, you know, that's important. You've never heard the phrase, the, phrase, the loser takes it all. You need help if you believe that, you know. No, it's kind of the winner takes it all. But here Jesus' teachings are so paradoxical. They are so countercultural. But they are life. 
thou life, and life to its fullest, I might add. And so when it comes to, you know, the words lose, you know, what Jesus is actually saying, whoever wants to save or, or play, play it safe with their life will, will actually lose it or waste it. But whoever loses or surrenders in the context of that verse, whoever surrenders their life for me will actually find it or be rewarded. So if I were to read that, that verse again, I would probably read it this way, that whoever wants to save or, or, or play it safe with their life is wasting it. But whoever actually surrenders their life for me will actually be recorded. And so I want to share with you uh, basically two ways that we can choose to live our lives. The one way is a, a life that's been misused. And, and what I mean by that is, is you know, that it, it's a life that, that says it's all about me and my ego. The Holy Trinity, me, myself, and I. And so that is so counter cultural with reference to what Jesus was teaching. That, you know, it's, it's so anti uh, the way we understand Christianity. And Jesus was actually saying to them that, listen, in the kingdom of God, we measure things differently. Because in the kingdom, there is a king, and he reigns with certain uh, guidelines, rules, and principles that are life-giving according to his word. And it is a tragedy when people live their lives and spend billions of dollars uh, and millions and hundreds of thousands and even thousands on themselves and are still found empty. And that was the book of Haggai, as we heard the last few weeks. That they eat, yet they're hungry. They drink, yet they're thirsty. They go to their barns to go and get uh, stock that they've stored up, yet it's only half of it is there. And, and they, they, they're not actually doing anything with reference to the things of God. You see, we often think that there is a position that we need to uh, accomplish. And when we hit that position, we actually are successful. But with reference to the kingdom of God, it's actually a disposition because it's, it's opposite, because it's not what we have done, but what God has done through us. And so we begin to think things differently. And friends, you know, when, when the ego creeps in, you know, then we can begin to believe these things uh, and we begin to become like the world, if you like, this big ego. And you'll see what, what, what the media pushes out there, and mass media, the one with the most toys wins. The one with the biggest and the best, that's the one that wins. And you know, the more enjoyment you can buy, so the more successful you are. And the more pleasures you can have, so uh, you are and will be successful. Now, can I say that uh, Scripture never talks about not having money or not having wealth. It's a blessing, absolutely, and we work hard so we can gain material things. But when we begin to put those things as a priority you know, and move God out of the picture, that's when it's dangerous. As somebody said, there's nothing wrong with having money, but the problem comes in when money has you. 
And so you begin to uh, see what God is talking about here. And people are often having this goal and this dream. Uh, and as you know, they, they fulfill that dream and that goal, they are still filled with emptiness. They're still filled with that emptiness. And they live for themselves. And, you know, this big adrenaline, adrenaline rush uh, that they, they get. And Jesus warns them and says to them, if you live that way, you're actually living a life that's been misused. You know, and many, many times, as long as we can control that adrenaline rush, as long as we can control that, that buzz, then we're, it's all good. But what Jesus is actually saying to them, listen, if you don't take risks with reference to the things of God in the kingdom of God, then your life has been wasted. It's a life misused. Now, I'm not saying taking uh, risks, uh, stupid risks, but I'm talking about spiritual risks, about seeking God, that God will open the door, that God will, will make a way where there seems to be no way. That when you and I look at a certain situation, that there is no hope in that situation. But because God is in the picture, so there is hope. And we need to take that risk to trust God. If there is a decision that needs to be made, that we don't take a coin and flip the decision and say, well, I'm going to make my decision, you know, it depends heads or tails. And then if it doesn't go our way, we flip it again. And then, oh, just for luck, let's do a third one. But no, to seek who God is in that situation. And not look for that big buzz. You know, that life is this adventure and it's all about uh, getting that new uh, pump, you know, going in my mind and, and making it happen. And as it doesn't happen, well, I look for something else. And it's all about pleasure-seeking. In fact, Paul writes to, to Timothy, and he, uh, this is spoken of uh, in a context, and, and he warns uh, the, the people that uh, Timothy is actually pastoring and shepherding. And, and he says to them, he says, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, 6, he says, But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. So ladies, no. Um, <laughs> In this context, he's saying, the widow who lives for pleasure, that word pleasure, spatalao, luxury, but a wasted luxury. You go and you waste your money on things in that particular context, because that's what was happening. They were wasting their money on things. They were spatalao. It's, it's almost, it's not as bad as, as what was said in Luke 15, where, where the prodigal son goes in and splashes out. But, you know, they, they spend on luxury and pleasure, but there's no satisfaction. He says to them, be careful of that, uh, because, you know, all of that pleasure is actually dead. It's dead. It's spiritually dead. It's of no value. But instead, focus on who God is. You know, um, you know, in James chapter five, verse five, you know, we, we think about luxury and 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 how God wants us to enjoy things. But if that's the only thing that we try and look for in this world, we will never be satisfied, and this will be a life that's misused. And the same message was out in Haggai to the people, and Jesus says the same thing. And I'm hoping that that same message is applicable to you and to me in October 
2021 because uh, our life could be of no value. We could be like this, this good-looking Christmas tree that once a year where it's all decorated, all nice, but it's actually dead. You know, when it's all finished, you fold it up, put it in the box, and wait uh, for 12 months' time. You know, and it's kind of all dressed up and nowhere to go. And, and you know, you're looking for that next big toy to, to give you that adrenaline rush, that next big thrill, that next new experience. And Jesus says, you know, that is a life that's misused, you know, because you're running from pillar to post. Well, are there people like that in the world today? Absolutely. I'm sure you have mates like that, and I have mates like that. I have family like that. And so you think, you know, what is the next big thing? Well, it's about kind of success from the world's perspective. And you've come to the end of your success, and you're all dressed up and nowhere to go, as it were. It reminds me of this gangster uh, who had made so much money, and he called the priest in, and he said, Father, when uh, I die one of these days, I want you to bury me in that $15,000 suit that's hanging in my cupboard. Father, you make sure that, that you bury me, that, you know, that's the suit I, I will wear when I get buried. And you see that bowler hat? That cost me $1,000. I must be buried with that bowler hat. You see the cigar? The cigar is $1,000. I want you to make sure that that cigar is between my fingers. And when you bury me, say nice things about me. And this gangster had died with all his fraudulent money and, and blood money, if you like, and earned it in the wrong ways. And the priest, doing his funeral, had to say, this man was all dressed up but nowhere to go. A life misused. A life that was null and void. A life that had not actually tasted success because there was no direction, no clear direction. Well, it's either that life or it's the surrendered life. The surrendered life. The life that's uh, surrendered uh, because it's doing what Jesus calls us to do. And folk, negative Christianity again says, well, I can't do the things I want to do. Well, that's not real Christianity. Christianity says, as I put things in the context of who Jesus Christ is, so things make sense. And I can live a life that's pleasing to him because it's all about him. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, writes, and he says, the opposite of wasting your life is to live by a single, soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things. If you want to live your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you have to know one great, all-embracing thing, and that is to be set on fire by it. For example, the Apostle Paul said that his life and ministry were riveted on a single aim. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, you know, that's Paul and he's radical and he's a weirdo. No. Paul was a, such a weirdo before he became Paul. And God changed his heart from Saul to Paul. And he went around sniffing Christians out who uh, he could persecute. And God changes his life. And he lives a life that's pleasing to him. And he goes and tells his story to those he comes into contact with. 
And so in verse 24 in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus explains to them that, that you know, uh, it, it's important to, to not live a miserable life, you know, being a Christian. Oh, I can't do Christian, uh, I can't do things that the world is doing, and I can't, you know, do. No, it's not saying that at all. He's actually saying in verse 24 to deny ourselves, you know, to, to live a life that's pleasing to Him, you know, to actually say, Lord, it's not me that's in control of my life, but it's you that's in control of my life. It's not my ego that's important, but Lord, I put you on the throne of my heart. And he says to deny yourself. That word deny, aborneo, he says to forget yourself, to lose sight of who you are with your ego and to put someone else's interests first. To, to look at who you are and to glorify God. And the word glorify, uh, you know, we sing about it uh, every Sunday morning. You know, we glorify Jesus. What does it really mean? Well, it means that the word doxazo means to welcome you into my uh, presence, Lord. And as you are present among me, so I give you fame and honor. In other words, I make the name of Jesus famous because I welcome him into my life. In other words, I'm putting my ego one side and putting Jesus in place of my ego. That doesn't mean you can't have lollies or, you know, uh, sacrifice sleep or, or food. Uh, it means to, to deny the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I, and to put the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that place. To take up your cross daily is what Jesus is saying. Now, what is Jesus saying when he says that? You know, some people think, well, you know, I've got my cross to bear. Uh, you know, it's, it's a sickness that I carry. Or, or it's an ingrown toenail. You know, that, that's my cross that I have to bear. You know, it, it's a thorn in my flesh that I wish God would take away, that he would just allow this ingrown toenail to just go away because that's my cross to bear. You know, and, and you think, what's going on? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is, it, is he talking about maybe this, this migraine headache that doesn't want to go away? Well, Jesus here in this context is talking about dying. And it's not a physical death, but a death to self. You know, and, and you know, kind of to, to change your life philosophy. To what Paul said in Philippians 1.21, where in, from prison, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's waiting to be persecuted, or he's already been persecuted, but to be executed. And he says, listen, whether I'm alive or dead, it's all about Jesus. Simple message. That before I, I had a life that was misused because I was putting myself first but now I'm following Christ and I'm dying to my own physical uh, understanding of Christianity. And I'm putting Jesus first. And what does Paul say? So I can gain the presence of Christ. The word gain there, uh, it's like to win. To kerdos. You know, it's like winning something. Uh, I, I gain advantage of what uh, Jesus has taught me and who Jesus Christ is. If you knew you were dying one soon, how would you live your life? Well, Paul knew he was dying. 
He would be dying soon. He would be executed soon. And so he says, you know, whether I'm alive or dead, it's about Jesus. Whether I'm in prison or free, it's about Jesus. And so he's prepared to take that risk to give it all because it's about Jesus. Not to say, well, Lord, you know, I've done bad things. Forgive me, but if I could just make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. And Lord, if I've got a little place in the corner of heaven with a little crown to put at the feet of Jesus, I'll be happy. No, he's saying, uh, you know what, for me, I, I want to take advantage of, of who Jesus Christ is. And, you know, in the, in the light of eternity, that's what I want to do and to gain that reward. And that's the risk we take. I'm reminded about Moses, who, who had everything going for him. Yes, he'd messed up big time. But, you know, at the end of his life, you read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, where it's recorded about what, what he'd accomplished. We read, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because there were so many advantages being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In fact, he was being groomed to be uh, the next prime minister of Egypt. And it says he chose to be mistreated. And the word chose there, ereome, he, he, he took it upon himself. He preferred to say, I will not sell my soul for the sake of being famous. I want to be a follower of Jesus or of God in the Old Testament in our context, a follower of Jesus. And that's what Moses was known for. To be mistreated along with the people of God, it says, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures. And the word pleasures there, um, it's two words. It, the first part of that word is ego. Ego, me, myself and I. Ego. And then uh, my ego and my enjoyment. I prefer to sacrifice those things. And he gets, he gets written down and recorded as one of those heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. For the pleasures of sin, he says, I'm prepared to give my ego up. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. Mizon, that, that his share. Uh, he, he, he chose that portion that was more important, larger, is that word, stronger value than the treasures of e Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. And so you begin to see the life of Moses. When he was 80 years old, God begins to use Moses to accomplish his purposes. Go and tell Pharaoh, uh, got a speech problem, I'm an old man, I've got a problem with my back. God wants to use Moses. I wonder about your life. As I was preparing this, I was challenged, really challenged. Because there is, there is a cost that's involved when we begin to follow Jesus. And folk, it's not to begin to take a big cross and, and you know, drag it behind us like a ball and chain that I'm now Christian and you know, it's all drudgery. When I didn't believe in Jesus, it was all good and you know, I could do my own thing. But now, since I'm following Jesus, I've got this big cross to bear. No, it's the greatest thing in the world because God never asks us to do anything without giving us the power to do it. But if we put him into the picture, things begin to fall into place. 
There is a cost that's involved. And you know what's awesome? That we belong to a community that we can uh, be together. And, and I can, uh, you know, come to you and, and put my shoulder under your armpit and lift you up and give you words of encouragement, words of, of life. And when I'm down, you can come and rally next to me and, and put your shoulder under my uh, armpit and, and say, Christophides, come on, it's worth it, let's carry on. And our lives are not kind of misused. But instead, we're following Jesus, and that's the greatest thing, the side of eternity. And then, let me end off by reading your story. And folk, I, I, I don't think I'm ever saying that, that we are to, to live our lives in such a way that, that you know, we, we're called to martyrdom. If God calls us to be martyrs, that uh, he will prepare us for. But a, a life that's pleasing to him because we're putting him first. In the year 320, Constantine was emperor of the West and Licinius of the East Licinius, under pressure from Constantine, had agreed to legalize Christianity in his territory, and the two made an alliance cemented by the marriage of Licinius to Constantia, the sister of Constantine. But Licinius broke the alliance and made a new attempt to suppress Christianity. He ordered his soldiers to renounce their faith in Christ or suffer the punishment of a cruel death. In the thundering legion stationed near Sebasti in Armenia, now Sivas in Turkey, 40 soldiers refused, and when promises, threats, and beatings failed to shake their commitment to Christ, they were stripped naked one evening and herded onto the middle of a frozen lake and told, you may come ashore, and when you're ready to deny your faith, you're welcome. You can come ashore, and when you're ready to deny your faith, you're welcome. To tempt them, fires were built on shore with warm baths, blankets, clothing, and hot food, and drink close by. The mother of the younger soldier was present and encouraged her son from the bank, please come, deny Jesus for the sake of life. Come and be warm. These Christian warriors bravely replied, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our hearts as allegiance belongs to Jesus Christ. They refused to renounce their Savior who had died for them. Instead, they huddled close together and sang a song of victory. As night deepened, 39 men stood firm, but one broke and ran to the shore. Then a remarkable thing happened. The officer in charge of guarding these men, had secretly come to believe in Christ. He then replaced the man who had broken rank and walked out onto the ice. He threw off his clothes and confessed his faith in Christ. At sunrise, the Roman soldiers found 40 frozen men who gave their all for the cause of their Lord. Only one life, it will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last. I don't know if Christ is calling us to go and sacrifice our lives and give of ourselves from a physical perspective, but certainly when we begin to put Him first from a spiritual perspective, 
whatever we've done for the things of God, that will last. When they bury us one day, there's a little star on our date that we were born. There's a little line between our date of birth and then a little cross without the day we passed on. What have we left behind for God? What legacy have we left behind for God? I was a, a chaplain in South Africa, and I had to bury people I never knew, people who might have died in prison. And I had to stand up like a good Christian pastor, and I used to say nice things about somebody I never knew and somebody who was a real rat bag. And I would need to say, this was a good person, and lie about people who were terrible because they'd left a terrible legacy behind. How do we get remembered? As people who submit to Jesus to come underneath him and lift him up the way he loves us and we respond to him, or are we misusing our lives and wasting them? What legacy are we leaving behind for him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, we acknowledge that it's not by might nor by power, but only by your Holy Spirit that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. So, Lord, we pray that you'll come and fill us afresh. Fill us afresh to live lives, Lord, that are of value to who you are. And, Lord, to, to leave a legacy behind to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, a legacy that speaks about who you are and that makes your name famous. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.